There are many ways people listen to vision, including on smart speakers. Just tell your smart speakers to play Vision Christian Radio. Alexa, play Vision Christian Radio. Vision. Yep, it really is that easy. You can also say, play V180 Radio for our music channel. It's just another way that Vision is helping you look to God daily. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media. Thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. I'm not sure if David doesn't act because he's a coward or he just doesn't know what to do because he's not good with God. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. Thanks for joining me. I'm Bill and you're on Today with Jeff Vines. Fatherhood can be tough, so I'm told, especially if you're raising little ones. In this episode, Pastor Jeff walks us through more of the life of King David and we learn of his lack of ability to love and guide his family. But King David is known as the man after God's own heart. So there is hope for all of us parents out there. Pastor Jeff is preaching this on Father's Day, but regardless of when you're listening to it, there's still plenty to take out of this message. So open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 13, and we'll jump into it now on Today with Jeff Vines. I want you, if you would, to turn in your Bibles over to 2 Samuel chapter 13. We're going to be weaving our way through this powerful narrative. And while you're doing that, I've got to tell you something. This is going to be tough, okay, this weekend. Uh, it's my chance, dads, fathers, to speak to you. And we're going to open up some things that might be difficult. There are some of you here that uh, you're going to hear some things that might open up some wounds for you that you thought been closed for a long time. And that's not my intention, but anytime you open the Word of God, it penetrates the heart and the soul. And you may hear some things that, wow, I thought I had forgotten about those things, but I guess I haven't. It's not my intention at all that you'd be judged in any kind of way. It's just my intention that you be aware this is a tough message, a tough narrative, and a a tough issue to deal with. It's impossible for me to deal with every situation, so if there's a part in the message that you thought, well, Pastor Jeff, how can you skip over that? Why, what about this? I, I only have 35 minutes. I gotta do the best I can in that amount of time. So I'm asking for some grace and mercy there. I wanna show you a photo. This is my son Delaney when he was born. I remember that day like it was yesterday and the hopes and dreams I had for him. I was also incredibly nervous that I was gonna blow it as a father. I know that no father's perfect, but I wanted to try to be. And of course, that's a, that's a standard it's impossible to reach. As Delaney got older, I began to realize he is so different than his father. Wired totally different. He actually wanted to help out by mowing the grass when he was like four. Uh, with me, my neighbors would come and say, Jeff, would you like to borrow our mower? <laughs> really, you can borrow the weed eater, no problem, because my, 
I, I grew up in Tennessee and you know, that's when you mow your grass and you find four cars. And so <laughs> my son Delaney, he's into this, you know, at a very young age, I tried to get him out on the golf course because I wanted him to be a golfer. So I'd take him golfing and he'd go out and try to swing the little club and he enjoyed it for a while, but he didn't really have a passion for sports like I had. He was gonna be a musician. That's why you see him on the stage this weekend playing the bass guitar. That's my son. Uh, he smiled a lot when he was young. And he still smiles, but he's so even kill. Nothing like his dad. He's not the drama queen that his dad is. And he just, he just kind of even kill, easy pace through life. But I see those pictures and I get the albums out and I look at them from time to time. And I remember how, man, the hopes and dreams I had and the just sheer panic and terror of being a father. And what, what was I going to be like? Now, I don't believe there's a more sad scene in the Bible than when King David, you know, a man's man, King David, the guy who led an entire army, the guy who led the men of war, the guy who led an entire nation. And here he is. He's gone to a high place over the city of Jerusalem and he's looking down. He's heard that his son Absalom has died. And this coming not too long after Absalom had killed Amnon, another one of David's sons, and he just weeps out over the city and he says, Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son. If only I had died instead of you. Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son. And Absalom is dead. And David and he are so estranged from each other that they don't even use each other's names in the three chapters leading up to Absalom's death. It's just the boy and the king. It's not dad and son. And you look at it and you say, how could a man like David who leads an entire nation not be able to lead his own family, who grows and expands the territory of his business, can't expand and grow his family. Well, how does that happen? And as you read through the text, as I take you through it, here's what you're gonna learn. Dads, love is not enough. Love is not enough. David loved his kids. When they died, he cried. He loved them, but he violated consistently the principle of the path, which states direction, not intention, determines destination. Just because you want your kids to love you, just because you want your kids to grow up strong men and women of character and integrity, just because you want a good relationship with your children in your old age doesn't mean it's going to happen. If you're not on the path that leads to that destination, you'll never get there. David violated that principle of the path and because he did, it didn't matter if he was the king. His children hate him. They despise him and they die hating and despising him. Now, how can that be? Well, as I take you to the story, you're gonna learn that there are defining crossroads and defining moments in David's life, intersections. He could have made the right choice and he never did. And as I take you through the narrative, please understand, it's not enough to love. And second, there are four icons I wanna take you through that I've printed out on a card for you, dads. If you take home and you remember those four icons, I, I can give you no absolute guarantees. You can do everything right as a father, but your children still have this little thing called free will. They still gotta decide. I cannot guarantee, but I can tell you this, if you don't do these things, I can just about guarantee you're in for a world of hurt. Why not take the path that leads in high probability to the desired destination. And the Bible lays that out all through the Old Testament and New Testament, but more specifically in this story. 
So let me start with icon one. We'll lead to it. The first icon I want you to picture is a dinner table. Now, here's how we'll lead up to that. The story starts when Amnon, David's other son, has a sexual obsession for his sister, Tamar. Now, I told you the Bible's full of great stories. You ought to read it. This is not so great, but interesting story. Amnon sexually desires his sister, Tamar. Everybody in the town of Jerusalem knows it. Everybody except one person. Would you like to guess who that is? David, daddy, King David. He's clueless. Amnon develops this plan. He's going to fake like he's ill. And he's hoping that Tamar will come to his house and nurse him back to health. And his plan is that when she comes, that he's going to kick everybody out of the room, lock the door, and he's going to first try to seduce her. And if that doesn't work, he's going to rape her, his own sister. Everybody in town knows about the plan except one. Would you like to guess who it is? King David. Now, King David is so clueless that he actually helps Amnon achieve the plan. Because when he receives word at the palace that Amnon is ill, the Bible tells us in verse 7, he sends a message to Tamar at the palace and says, go to the house of your brother Amnon and prepare some food for him. Now, everybody in town knows this is a bad call. Don't send Tamar to Amnon's house. David does. He gets her in the room. He forgets all about seduction and goes right to rape. Even though she begs him not to do it, she says, no, my brother, don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? It's Tamar's way of saying, Amnon, everybody in town knows that you desire me. If you do this thing, they're going to know that I've lost my virginity and they're going to know that I lost it with you, my brother, and I'll never be able to live down the disgrace. Please don't do this. There's no salvation in this for either one of us. Now, Here's the question I ask when I read a story like this. How, how is that possible for, the, for King David, who knows the intricate details of everything of his kingdom, who knows every possible assault and defense, how is it possible for him not to know that his son is lusting after his own sister? I want to go back to this first icon. It's a dinner table. I've read an article this week by Wayne Parker that you too can read online. Here's what he says. This archaic American icon has disappeared and because of its disappearance in American society, families are disintegrating and there are hundreds and thousands of children walking around with burdens to bear that have no way or no forum to release it to where the father could hear their cry and where trust could be built and disclosure would occur. And he said, this guy's not even a believer. He just says the dinner table was the stability of America past. But now we don't come together in the evenings. He's on iPad, she's on her iPhone, they're on Netflix. Nobody comes together to eat. It used to be the place where the family at least one time a day came together and the father sat at the head of the table and he would ask probing questions. And as he did so, it would open up the lives of the children and whatever was going on, they could share. And they would grow in trust and disclosure. My dad, folks, was brilliant at this. And I'm not sure he knew he was doing it. I'm not sure, maybe he did, but he would line us up every evening. We were too poor to eat out, so mom would cook every night. And you know, I look back now, I thought, man, we were lucky, we got some good food. And so, I mean, it was cholesterol, uh, but it was good. <laughs> it's okay, you know, I told you what my dad said when he was around, when he was younger, they didn't have cholesterol, and if they did, they would have fried it. So <laughs> we're, we're in this table, 
And my dad would go down each side and he would start, Jeff, tell me about the basketball team. How are we going to win the conference this year? And he'd go to my older brother, Tim, tell me about the wrestling team. And did you learn any new wrestling moves you'd like to try out on your brother Jeff today? And then he'd go to my brother Tony down on the uh, right-hand side. He'd say, Tony, how's the band? Because my brother was in the band. And it would open up conversation. Then it was my brother, younger brother Jody who, who didn't have ADD. He had what I call AWD, attention to world domination. His whole thing was to take over the world. He's crazy, science, kind of a science fiction kind of guy. And dad would have to say, Jody, Jody, come back into the real world. And we'd all talk. He didn't end up in Leavenworth or anything like that. He ended up okay, but he's kind of a weird kid. So dad would ask these questions and we learned to think critically because dad would fire back at us if their answer wasn't good. We'd talk about politics. We'd talk. He'd ask questions like this. What would you do if you were president? We didn't realize he was trying to get out of us what we thought was wrong with the world. He would say, what would you do if you won the lottery? We didn't realize he was trying to get out of us what we really wanted in life. And those weren't even the important questions because the longer we were around the table, the more disclosure that came because we trusted dad to keep it around the table and he did. And around that table, we learned that there was a teacher crossing the line with my younger brother. We learned that there was a coach verbally and physically abusing my older brother. We learned that I was being bullied when I made the transition from elementary to sixth grade into junior high school. And all those things came out around the dinner table. Here's the secular atheist in an article saying that America's being destroyed because the family's being destroyed. And the family's being destroyed because we don't have dinner together anymore. It's amazing. My dad was brilliant and he didn't even know it. Or maybe he did. My son Delaney goes to Australia to a leadership camp every year. He started about four years ago. He came back when he was 17 years old from the camp and he said to his dad, dad, I, you and I need to meet. I thought, wow, my son's never said that. We need to have lunch. I need to talk to you. So we had lunch. I paid of course. And uh, he looked right across the table, looked me in the eye and he said, dad, there's something I need to tell you. And he told me something that he was struggling with in his life. I was so proud of him. I could tell he had become a man, but I was more concerned. Have I been the kind of father that created that? Why did it take him going to Australia, thousands of miles away to be able to sit across the table and look to his dad and say, dad, I got to tell you something. Why couldn't I have created that? See, dads, I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to tell you I've failed in a lot of areas of fatherhood and we shouldn't be failing. We've got to do better. And here's the secular atheist saying to you and me, dust the dinner table off. Get your family around the dinner table again because if you wait until they're teenagers, it's too late. They're not gonna be interested in what you have to say. But if you start when they're young and you nurture them and disclose and develop trust, they'll open up the windows of their life and they'll let you have a look in, dad. And those burdens that they're bearing, they'll no longer bear. Now let's keep going. Here's what happens in the story. Amnon violates Tamar. And it's interesting what Tamar does in response. The Bible says in verse 19, I'm in 2 Samuel 18 now, Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the ornate robe she was wearing. She put her hands on her head and went away, weeping aloud as she went. Rather, that's chapter 13. Now, here's what the Bible says Tamar does. Now, come on. You know that as a rapist, a rapist depends on the reality that the lady won't talk because of the shame. That's why so many rapists are willing to engage. They think, well, they're never going to talk and bring shame on their lives. He depends on the fact that Tamar won't say anything, but boy, does his plan backfire. She wears this robe in Hebrew that's translated ornate robe. It's the robe of virgins. 
So if you're a virgin in Tamar's day, you wear a robe. It's not out of shame, it's out of pride that you've kept yourself pure until the day of the wedding. Well, as soon as Abnon rapes Tamar, she leaves immediately. She does two things, the Bible says. She tears the robe. That's gonna be a sign to everybody in the city, I'm no longer a virgin. And she puts ashes on her head and puts her hands over her head to say to everyone how frustrated and she's mourning over the loss of her virginity. Now everybody in town's gonna know who did it. She takes a great risk here because she's living in a time when the word of a woman is not trusted that much. So if Amnon comes and delivers the story that is actually Tamar that seduced him, more than likely she's gonna lose her life. She's gonna die. Scholars say, why would she take the risk? And here's why. The only acceptable logical reason that she would act this way is because she knew her daddy would come to her rescue because her daddy's the king. And her daddy knows of her character and integrity and what kind of rascal Amnon is. And she's depending on dad to come and to stand up for her and vouch for her character and integrity and to save her life. At first, it sounds promising. In chapter 13, verse 21, the Bible says, when King David heard all this, he was furious. But you know what the problem with King David is throughout this whole section of his life with his family? He's furious, but he does nothing. He cries, but he does nothing. He tears his clothes in mourning, but he does nothing. And the more he acts and reacts that way, the more his children hate him. Now you think about this for a moment. How's Tamar feel? I, you know, I have never been more proud. This is, gonna, this is gonna be hard for some of you. I've never been more proud of my father. I was 16 years old. We had a family who lived across the street. Beautiful young twins. Little boy, little girl, about eight years old. They'd be out playing. And anytime any of us Vines brothers came home, hello, Mr. Vines. They are so nice. My dad loved those little children as if they were his own. But the husband in that family across the street would get drunk every weekend and come home and beat the wife and the kids. And we would hear their screams. And everybody else around knew it was happening, but just close their doors and do nothing, but not my dad. My dad immediately gets on the phone, calls the police, gets the police there as soon as he can. And then of course the lady lies and says, no, my husband wasn't beating me. But my dad understood that. He understood she had to say that or he would kill her and the kids. My dad would just wait. And he would say to us Vines boys, one of these days, one of these days, he's going to hit her and she's going to be afraid for her life and she's going to run to me. She's going to run to this house because she knows it will take care of her and he's going to follow her. And once he steps foot in my yard, I'm going to beat him mercilessly. <laughs> in the name of Jesus, of course. I was 16 years old. It's about two o'clock in the morning. Sounded like the house was burning down. I got up in my pajamas, went into the living room. It was commotion. There she was beaten and battered. There the kids were screaming and my dad, oh yeah, he had come over into our yard and my dad was an auxiliary policeman. So he had that baton. I want to tell you, he gave this guy a beating. He wasn't going to kill him. He was just going to let him know what it feels like to beat up on somebody. The police came the next day. Social workers took the kids. My dad saved that family's life. And I have never been more proud and more respectful of my dad. And the reason is, the reason is because my dad knew something needed to be done and he got it done. And that's what a father does. He recognizes there's a problem here and he doesn't just let it go. He doesn't just mourn. He doesn't just talk about it. He's a man of action. Dane Johnson, as he leads our men's fraternity, he says they live by a few values. And one of those values is this, real men reject passivity. Real men reject 
passivity. They know their wife needs to be loved. They love them. If the child needs encouragement, he encourages them. If the child needs discipline, discipline comes. Whatever it is, real men reject passivity. And here's why. Because passivity is always interpreted as apathy. If you do nothing, it's always interpreted as you don't care. And David was that kind of father. Now, just quickly, what's up with David before we move to the second icon? What's up with David here? This is David. We, we forget that just a few chapters earlier, David was sinning with somebody called Bathsheba. Where do you think Amnon learned to treat women this way? From his father. And what's uncanny about that, years before that, David was so tight with God, so tight that he writes the Psalms. I mean, he says, your word is a light into my path, a lamp into my feet. As long as I'm in your word, I'm going to be growing toward righteousness. And David's feeling was, as long as I grow in righteousness, then I'll grow in righteousness personally and corporately. That I'll be able to know the difference between righteousness and unrighteousness because I've seen your face. And in doing so, then I can guide my family toward righteousness and unrighteousness. David believed if I'm not good with God, I can't be good with anybody, especially my family and my children. So as you come to this text, I'm not sure if David doesn't act because he's a coward or he just doesn't know what to do. And he doesn't know what to do because he's not good with God. He's not seeing the face of God anymore. He's not pursuing God. And the reality is, if you can't see God, you can't see righteousness. Unfortunately, we have to pause the message there. Next time, we'll be continuing this message, looking at King David's example in 2 Samuel chapter 13, helping equip us to be better fathers and mothers. Join me then to hear the rest on Today with Jeff Vines. David said very clearly, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. I'm only as good with my wife as I am with God. I'm only as good with my children as I am with God. If I'm good with God, I understand the boundaries. I know the difference between righteousness and unrighteousness, and I can lead my family well. Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.